great to be sharing uh, from God's Word again this morning. Uh, it's another pretty dark passage, isn't it? Um, but today we're actually going to be going through uh, chapters 21 all the way through chapters 25. So usually I, I like to just focus on one small passage of the Bible, but now, this time today, uh, we'll be looking at five chapters, which means I'll be flying through it. Um, so please keep your Bibles open. We'll be flicking around a little bit. Um, and by the way, also, there'll be so much skipped in today's sermon. There's so much that I won't be able to cover. Uh, so please go back in your own time and reread um, slowly these uh, chapters again so that we can uh, really take in God's Word. Let me pray before I start. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God who warns us. You don't leave us to sin, leave us to our own devices so that if we head to death, you don't care. We thank you you're not like that. And so, Father, as we hear these warnings today, may it be a warning, may it be a warning that we heed, that we listen, um, listen to, and may we, by your Spirit, hear your words in a way that helps us to stay well clear um, of what you are uh, promising to judge for those who don't listen to your word. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias, Carl Lentz. Uh, as you guys probably know, these are just a few of the many high-profile church leaders who have been exposed for their grossly immoral conduct. So we hear shocking stories about domineering leadership styles, cult-like controlling behaviours and manipulation, abuse of all kinds, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, spiritual abuse. And then there's the cover-ups, uh, threatening members to never blow the whistle, forcing people to sign NDAs. We see the use of God's word twisted to legitimize these leaders' behaviors. But of course, it's not just in high-profile churches, all these mega-churches that this is happening, right? For every one mega-church pastor that has been exposed for their, their sin and corruption, there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, more churches where leaders are abusing the very people they're supposed to be looking after. And each time another story of a church scandal appears on the news again, on your Facebook feeds or whatever, do you find yourself wondering, why does God allow this to happen? How did so many of these churches who, who were so prominent, who was at a point of healthy gospel growth, get to this point? But maybe more so, what is God going to do about all of this? Well, today as we continue looking at the book of Jeremiah, we see that the same thing is going on amongst the leaders of Judah. It's their turn to be called out, right? We've had the people called out for their sins, we've, they're calling out for, for their behaviours, their, their lack of social justice, we've, we've seen God call them out for treating God's temple as a magic charm. Now it's the leader's turn to be called out for their sin. Let's see what God has to say about them and what he plans to do about it. At first, the first group of leaders that God calls out are the kings. We have corrupt kings ruling over Judah. 
What have they done? Well, firstly, they, they rule with injustice. He, he builds himself a palace. But as he does so, he is cheating his own people, his own countrymen, God's people. Now, it's one thing, right, to use those people, uh, your subjects from underage for his own personal projects, but to not even pay them for their labor, to be so stingy, even though they're, they're fat and, and rich, does this honor God and his law? Does this look what, look what carrying out justice in the land looks like? Is this being a light to the nations around them for showing God's righteousness? These kings are doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. They're not simply failing to maintain justice amongst God's people, as we've seen in previous weeks, right? But they themselves are committing appalling acts of injustice. The second thing these kings have gotten wrong is that they've lost sight of what it means to be a king. I need to have the biggest palace. I deserve it. I'm a king. The most luxurious palace with the best materials, the, the biggest windows to, to wow everyone. More and more of this world-famous cedar wood from Lebanon. So much so that God even calls the palace Lebanon itself, the forest of Lebanon, because it's got so much of this Lebanese cedar wood. Yes, that's what makes me a king. My decadent lifestyle, my impressive palace projects, my status. And the thing is, like, which king wouldn't dabble in a bit of self-indulgence, right? It's not necessarily wrong for kings to be wealthy. Uh, plenty of good kings that God commended in Israel's history were very wealthy. And so what's the issue? Verse 15. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was just, right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Take a look at your father, Josiah. Right? Josiah, he was by no means lacking when it came to living well as a king. He had riches, he had comfort, and yet what made him a true king of God's people? Well, he did what was right and just, defending the poor and needy, setting an example for how the rest of Israel was supposed to live. He did what was most important, pointing God's people away from their sin, away from idolatry, away from false religion that led to death, and pointing them back to life, back to God. And so because of this, God blessed him. All went well with him because he obeyed because he listened to God. But you, you kings, you haven't. You haven't set your heart on the Lord, but on dishonest gain, on shedding of innocent blood, on oppression and extortion. Can you hear this terrible judgment upon the kings as their sin is exposed? But it's not just the kings, because... It's also the spiritual leaders as well. It's the priests and the prophets who are likewise terrible at leading God's people. Because just like the corrupt kings, these spiritual leaders are using their power for injustice. And not just in their own time, right? You know, we, we call out spiritual leaders today for having a mismatched public life and personal life. 
But these guys, they're so sinful that even in the temple, as they're performing their ministry, they are godless. They're flaunting their evil as they're supposed to be serving God. And whilst they're supposed to denounce evil behavior, they're supposed to turn people back to repentance, back to God, not only do they do evil themselves, but they go so far as to strengthen the hands of the evildoers. Right? When they see sin, they don't say, stop sinning. They say, keep on going. Yeah, you're doing great. And so no one repents. And what else do they do in public? They prophesy, but by the false gods of the nations. As all the people on the street sacrificed to Baal, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, instead of stopping them, because that's what they're supposed to do as Yahweh's priests and, and prophets, they do it themselves. They actually speak on behalf of Baal. It's like, can you imagine someone who's hired to, to sell a product for a company, but then they use the money and time that they've been given to actually peddle another competitor's inferior product? It's ridiculous. It's outrageous, right? On a human level. But this is not just an, some employer that these people are cheating. These priests and prophets are cheating the God of their universe. They are cheating their own God. And even when they do claim to speak on behalf of Yahweh God, it's all lies. It's all false. It's all made up. <laughs> While God has been trying to get their attention, trying to warn them out of love, stop doing your evil. Come back to me and have life. You can escape the coming destruction if only you would listen and obey me. But these prophets, they speak what the people want to hear. False hopes. No harm will come to you. Keep going. Keep living as if God isn't there. Keep worshipping these false gods. Keep doing what God hates. You'll be right. Now, these are some pretty big failures from the leaders of Judah, isn't it? From kings ripping off their own people, uh, only caring about their, their own decadent living, to spiritual leaders of God who are doing the exact opposite of what they're meant to be doing. Instead of leading people away from sin and idolatry, they, they, they preach false messages. And again, when we look back at all these recent church scandals that we hear in the news every couple of months seemingly, you'd be right to thinking, isn't history just repeating itself? What's changed since Jeremiah's time? And so let's see what God is going to do about all this right here in the Old Testament first. First, God is going to finally do what he has promised. God will punish Judah's leaders for their utter failure to lead his people properly. The unfaithful kings of Judah will be exiled. They will die shameful deaths. The prophet's sins will be judged. They too will be cast out, exiled into the hands of the enemies. They too will be forever disgraced. But the kings, priests and prophets aren't actually the only ones being judged here because all of Judah will be punished as a result. The whole land all of Judah's inhabitants. They will be completely destroyed. They will all suffer horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. But you're like, why? It's the leaders who have failed, right? It's the leaders' fault for leading the people astray. Why is it fair for all of Judah to be judged? Well, God explains why. 
as God addresses all the people, not just the leaders here, what does he say about the whole nation? For 23 years, ever since King Josiah, three, four generations of kings until this very day, God has been speaking again and again and again to all the people. But they have not listened. See, it wasn't just the leaders who chose not to listen to God's voice, but every single person in Judah chose also not to listen to God's voice. Because see, Jeremiah is one example. Jeremiah has spent decades speaking God's truth, and what's happened? He's been ridiculed, mocked, threatened for speaking God's word in all the public spaces. See, God's voice was not absent. I mean, heck, they even had the scriptures before them, right? They knew the law, they knew the Torah, they had it all. But which voice did they choose to listen to? Well, they chose to listen to the voices that they wanted to hear. The ones that keep saying, keep, keep oppressing the poor so that you can get rich yourself. Keep not paying your servants. Keep worshipping false gods. Keep treating God as a vending machine. Yes, the prophets were lying. But the people had no excuse either. And so all of Judah will suffer the consequences for ignoring God's word. Now, I'm not sure if you're feeling that this non-stop talk of sin week after week is getting a bit heavy. But I'm glad to tell you that uh, next week, Pastor Pete will be covering a much more hopeful section of Jeremiah. Uh, we'll be seeing an extended section where God is constantly talking about his wonderful restoration of his people after they go into exile. You can look forward to that, so don't miss that for sure. But even here today, again, as we see chapter after chapter of judgment, there's a glimmer of hope. In the midst of these chapters of judgment and warning, because where the leaders of God's people have failed, failed to care for the flock, fail to uphold God's law, well, God himself now promises to come. God promises to personally fix their leadership problem because God will be the one who will do what these false shepherds refuse to do. And so even after they go into exile, as the people will be scattered and lost all over the distant nations, like lost sheep in the wilderness, God will personally go out Call each one by name, handpick them out of their misery. He will bring them back to pasture, back to safety, back to abundance and life and prosperity. They will be fruitful and increase in number as they should have from the very beginning. God himself will do this. But he does more because not only does he do this to secure their future, God will place upon his people his own shepherds over the people. Shepherds who will actually do their jobs, tend the people, no longer will, be, will they be afraid or lost. And not just shepherds in general either, God is finally going to bring his king. For David, a righteous branch will be raised up. A proper king, as he promised to David all those centuries ago, who reigns wisely, who rules with justice again unlike the kings that we hear God condemn, a king that will actually bring salvation and safety to the people. And the name of this king? The Lord, our righteous saviour. Now, here's a bit of irony. King Zedekiah, you know, if you look at what his name actually means, it means the Lord is my righteousness. 
And I think this is actually a, a dig at what the king is actually doing here. Because unlike Zedekiah, the king that God is promising to bring, he will truly embody what it means to live out the Lord is my righteousness. And this will all happen when God will once again save with mighty acts and with an outstretched arm. Because his salvation that is coming will be so amazing that God will be known for saving them out of Babylon. No longer will we be known for the God who saved them out of Egypt. That will be nothing compared to what God will be doing in the future. right? Because as hopelessly impossible as the situation will seem, scattered all across the nations, their homeland has been occupied, the temple destroyed, as hopeless as that seems, God will bring restoration. He will bring all his scattered people back into the land. Now that would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And see, if you're back then, if you were hearing Jeremiah's words, and if you had believed Jeremiah, which I don't think many people did, but if you had, you'd be probably thinking, that's great. God himself will save us out of exile, 70 years, bang, back into the homeland, and then we'll have our king, he'll appoint good shepherds who will truly care for the people. That's great. But the only problem is, it doesn't happen like that. Yes, in 70 years' time, they do come back from exile, right? Just as God had said. And yes, it would be seemingly miraculous, this random pagan king who doesn't know God suddenly decrees that all Israelites can go back home and, and worship God in Jerusalem. Cyrus even goes and gives them money and gold to build the, the temple again. That, that, that's miraculous. But there's a lot of things about this return that's just underwhelming. I mean, even though, yes, Israel's back in the land, or in large part anyway, but they're still oppressed by foreigners. First, the Greeks come and, and, and oppress them, and then when the Greeks disappear, it's the Romans that come and, and oppress them. And where's the promised king? For hundreds of years after they returned, they never even had a king from the line of David sit on the throne. Where were the good shepherds of Israel? And so, yes, when we look at the New Testament, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, they had great zeal to uphold the law. They care about God's law, right? But in the end, what they did was they turned the law into an unbearable burden for the people through the legalism, through the hypocrisy. And so Israel is just as lost as they had ever been. And so it's only when we hear about someone coming onto the scene a person identifying himself as the good shepherd who goes out, seeks the lost, gathering the lost sheep of Israel, no matter if it was just a single sheep that was lost in the wilderness. The one who embraces the title Son of David. When we hear about one who he himself is sinless, who lays down his life for the sheep, the one who in his sinlessness dies on the cross, taking away our sin. The one who is the Lord himself, who is Yahweh, the great I am. The Lord who is our righteousness. See, it's only in Jesus that all of these mind-blowing promises all are fulfilled in one fell sweep. So that's it, right? Jesus has come. We, don't, we just need to follow Jesus. God is our perfect king now. We don't need to worry about bad church leaders anymore, right? Well, yeah, but also no. Because as we've already seen at the beginning, even as Jesus has already been established as God's righteous king, well, 
we still see so many cases of terrible leadership in God's churches, don't we? We still see the disastrous consequences when these pastors lead in exactly the same way that we see in Jeremiah. And it doesn't even need to be churches with epic church scandals that appear on the news. All it takes is for a pastor to simply stop preaching the gospel, to take God's word and just to twist it little by little to, to suit their needs for their own satisfaction, for to build up their own power. All it takes is for pastors to leave out the bits of the Bible they don't like to, or to even stop treating the Bible as God's word altogether. And what we end up with are churches no longer in awe of God's mercy, God's holiness, God's justice. Churches no longer motivated to bring the gospel to their own local community, let alone to the ends of the earth. Churches in which God's flock are used and abused, leaving members scarred and not wanting anything to do with church anymore. And so this passage should cause us to stop and reflect, to heed the warning that the leaders of God's people can fail, just like back then, and to see how bad things get if that ever happens. And so while the obvious thing to talk about here is to address our leaders, right? I can preach a whole sermon on how uh, we as pastors or, or leaders of the church can do all these things and to be careful and to be warned of that and to make sure we listen to God's voice. But instead, today I'm going to spend the time talking about how this passage speaks to all of us as a church. Because we've seen that this is not just a problem for just leaders, right? This is a problem that affects everyone, all of God's people. And so how do we as a church, everyone here, how do we respond to what we've just heard today? Well, actually, I think the first thing we need to do is to give thanks, right? Uh, as I joined the church a couple of months ago and as Pete walked me through the recent history of our church, I think there's so much that we can give thanks for, right? We've had good leaders come through this church, putting God's word at the center, We've had pastors who've cared for you guys on a personal level, and most importantly, on a spiritual level. And even when you haven't had a full-time pastor, there's been many leaders from other churches come to pour out their hearts and lives to, to keep the church going, even uh, Bible college lecturers to come and preach the word to you guys. That's just amazing. God has been so kind feeding you guys over the years. It's been just super encouraging for, for me to hear Pete talk about your, your history. That isn't something to be taken for granted, is it? When we see how bad it could turn out um, so easily. But of course, this passage reminds us that we can't be complacent. And we've seen the dangers of that. And so this passage also reminds us that you guys all have a responsibility to keep us accountable as leaders, right? The first thing you can do to keep us accountable as leaders is to make sure always that we are teaching, preaching, and leading in line with our chief shepherd, with the authority and truth of his word in the scriptures. And so even as I stand here right now, as I preach to you, even as I'm urging you to change your mind, to live transformed lives, as I'm telling you, uncomfortable truths at times, please remember that my words only have authority, they only have power if it is what God is actually saying. 
And so this is why we keep reminding us all to bring our Bibles and to keep them open every Sunday. Keep digging into the words for yourselves. Check what I am saying. Check what Pastor Peter is saying. Check what your Bible leaders are saying. Is it really what God is saying? Check that we're not speaking half-truths. We're not leaving stuff out because we don't like it. We're not twisting God's word. We're not simply telling you to do stuff that God isn't actually telling you guys to do. But there's a second way you can keep us accountable. And that is to remember that we, as pastors, as leaders, we too are sinful people. As leaders of God's people, we are not exempt from having our sins confronted and dealt with. And so it's all our responsibility. If you see something that that we are doing that is clearly ungodly, will you lovingly call us out on that? Now, I know this can be a hard thing for many of us, right? I know I feel this myself, being raised in a culture that honours the elder, honours those who have um, positions of leadership and authority over us. I mean, just, just thinking about that, just thinking about having to rebuke an elder or one of the pastors or, your, or, or someone else, does that instinctively make you shrink back a bit, just at the thought of that? And so, of course, you do need to take into account our cultural sensitivities, right? We, we don't go blazing in and be harsh in a self-righteous tone uh, to, to blast disrespectfully your leaders for their tiniest flaws. That's not what it's about. We do need to be gentle. We, we do need to acknowledge our own sin as we, as we confront other people's sins. Yes, be gentle, be wise. But don't let our Asianness stop us from doing what is best for God's people, for your church, from doing what's best for your leaders even. Let's remember who our chief shepherd is, the one who perfectly rules over all of us. And again, If you ever see me or Pastor Pete do or say anything that is ungodly, will you, in love, call us out on that? If you see one of your leaders, your deacons, your elders do the same, would you do so for the sake of God's people? The last thing I'll mention today is that we all need to see clearly our good shepherd. And after we see him clearly, let us hear his voice day by day. And so first, let us see him clearly, because we need to remind ourselves who he is, right? It's very easy to forget who Jesus is, even though we're so good in our theology, right? Because Jesus, let's picture him as the truly selfless leader, the selfless king who cares for his people, the king who isn't just named God is our righteousness, but perfectly embodies that. He has given us his righteousness already. We are right before God because what Jesus has already done for us. Praise God that because of our perfect leader, our spiritual well-being isn't tied to some human, human leadership that is bound to stuff up sooner or later. Right? Remember, see clearly who our leader is. But as we do that, Let's keep listening to his voice. Let's keep hearing him speak so that we know his will, we know his ways more and more day by day. And uh, don't get me wrong, my prayer is that we here at BCCC, we will never be at a place where we have to choose between listening to to Jesus' voice or, or listening to a pastor's voice, right? My prayer is that we will never have to make that decision. But... 
Let us hear the voice of our shepherd so deep into our hearts right now that if conflicting voices ever appear, we will have no doubt as to which voice we should be following. The perfect king, priest and prophet has already come. And so let's keep following him. Let's keep hearing his voice. Let's pray. Father, Father in heaven, as we uh, met with another very dark passage of your word, speaking of how terrible things can be when your leaders don't do their jobs. Father, we thank you that we now live on this side of the cross where your promises are not just promises, but we have we have received them in full in Jesus, our perfect shepherd, our perfect leader, the perfect king, priest, and prophet. And so, Father, we pray that all of us here now will keep following Jesus, will not forget who he is and keep listening to his voice day by day and have us immersed in his voice so that we, if bad leadership one day comes in whatever form it might come, that we will keep following Jesus for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.